As far as I'm concerned, as long as that same respect and recognition is not shown toward every one of our people in this country, it doesn't exist for me. And during the few moments that we have left, we want to have just an off-the-cuff chat between you and me, us. We want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. As the UK continues to be in lockdown mode due to the panoramic, Panasonic pandemic, many people have turned to Clubhouse. For those who don't know, Clubhouse is an app in which you can have a variety of discussions with people all over the world. I do remember lockdown one when everyone jumped on house party and that died quite quickly. And now it seems that Clubhouse has taken over. One such interesting person I met and there are many interesting people I've met on the app. But one that has stood out is my guest today, Janine Francois. Well, I'll go on, Janine. Hi. Well done yeah. for getting the surname right. Impressive. <laughs> I try, I try, I try. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming on. To all my listeners out there, honestly, I've engaged with Janine on some dope topics. And she always comes with the source. If it's not the source, it's Terrence Singlets. If it's not Terrence Singlets... <laughs> So honestly, it's been um, a really insightful kind of engagement and fruitful, and I've learned a lot. So on the back of a conversation we had, particularly when it was surrounding around BLM and the money where the BLM went to, we had like a break-off room about, you know, loving. And, you know, this I will title this episode, How to Love Black People Politically. And I feel a lot of the time our politics in the UK may be skewed to a black-centric, black-only politics. And I get that as, you know, people are hurting and it seems to, that politics seems to encapsulate the feelings and emotions of people. However, I think as you begin to read more, as you begin to kind of widen your horizon, you see that first and foremost, that's like an unattainable politic anyway. And doesn't really, it's not really in line with the black, black radical tradition mm. that teaches us to, you know, lift every voice in the language of Cornell West. So, first things first, a question to you. Mm-hmm. Where do you think we should situate our politics in terms of tackling anti-blackness and racism? Yeah, that's really a really good first question to ask, actually. So I'm really drawing into the thought that in order to challenge anti-blackness, we ultimately need to like challenge white supremacy and imperialism, because effectively anti-blackness isn't a thing in of its own right. It's an outcome or it's a symptom of white supremacy imperialism and it's historical as well so I feel like you couldn't just challenge anti-blackness on its own because it wouldn't take away the wider system and in fact it could reproduce or form into some some other form of like subjugation onto black people so mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm a big thought of like in order to challenge anti-blackness we need to challenge the root like let's go to the actual source of what's causing this particular kind of violence onto black people onto black bodies because once we do that, once we get to the root, we then in the, inherently eradicate anti-blackness and other and its other kind of like manifestations like colorism and stuff like that. Okay, so where do you feel anti-blackness gets its power from? White supremacy. I feel like you know even the idea of like what what does it mean to be anti-black? I feel like we need a really clear definition of what anti-blackness is because sometimes I see this like a, a weaponizing of something that just isn't anti-black. It's just, you know, that person's just disagreeing with you. 
And it isn't because mm-hmm. they're disagreeing with you specifically because you're a black person. They might be disagreeing with you because maybe what you're saying is whack or what you're saying mm-hmm. is ungrounded or unfounded in any kind of like historicism or like conceptualization or even like politics, right? And sometimes I sometimes see like black folk, you know, use anti-blackness in a way that isn't helpful or doesn't, that isn't anti-black. And I think there's also like space to hold contradictory thoughts that someone can contradict to your politics but not necessarily mm-hmm. contradict to your existence. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we find that hard to hold because obviously our politics are part of our lives and part of our existence. But sometimes we can also espouse things that are just not grounded in anything apart from our own maybe individual or small group reality. It doesn't make it the like it doesn't make it like the phenomena for all black people, the phenomena of something that is rooted in oppression, right? So an example could be, you know, I am a black woman and mm-hmm. I can't even think of an example at the top of my head, but it, could, it just could be like an example of like, maybe that affects black women for my mm-hmm. particular social class, but it may not affect all black women because I exist in a particular space, right? So mm-hmm. an example could be, I don't know. Yeah, I'm a black woman and wearing, although this doesn't affect me because I work in a creative sector, so that doesn't matter. But if I worked in a more corporate sector where I'm expected to have more straightened hair, people could see me as unprofessional. Now that is true. Yeah. And obviously that comes from, that's a racist perspective, but that affects a particular kind of black woman, right? Who is socially mobile and upwardly, who perhaps is you know, more educated, who exists in some kind of proximity to middle-classness. Some other black women from a different background might experience that, but it's a very rooted experience. So I guess it's really important that we kind of think about when we use like anti-blackness and such in a while for us to really like root it in a particular context. I think that's really helpful. And also not to weaponize it when someone disagrees with us because someone could disagree with that black woman because she's espousing neoliberal ideologies. Would it make it mm-hmm. anti-black? Mm. So where do you like, okay, let's talk about that specific kind of context, that geographical location. Mm. If we're going to deal with, what, what's your assessment of dealing with anti-blackness in the UK context then? As uh, tell me more, as in like, like well, how do we start to deal with anti-blackness mm. in the UK context? What kind of politics is that? Is that a BAME politic? Is it a mm, solidarity okay. politic? What is it? Yeah, that's interesting because like since talking to you a lot, I think about like being a black Muslim and how you experience a particular kind of anti-blackness that I just don't know because I'm not Muslim and I don't, yeah. you know, I don't exist in that space. Not that I, I can hold empathy for what you experience, but yeah. it's not what governs my reality, right? And so I guess like when we think about anti-blackness, I guess I want us to be nuanced and complex to understand why it exists or how it's manifested. And again, like if anti-blackness is really just white supremacy. It's just a, a specific form of violence that plays out onto black bodies historically and, and historically informed for contemporary reality. And I guess what I'm also thinking is how do we understand that there might be particular types of anti-blackness even like black people onto other black people right so even yeah. like black people being islamophobic to another black person is a form of anti-blackness because you're also mm. not only rewarding oppression but you're kind of saying that there is a particular trope or type of what it means to form a oh, special type of blackness yeah. that's acceptable yeah and if someone is wow. muslim they kind of exist outside that paradigm and in a way their blackness gets kind of revoked from them Wow. So I think there's also like inter and intra dynamics at play when we think about anti-blackness, but also... Sorry to interject Mm. then. Surely then the the answer cannot be getting so granular then. 
because ultimately mm-hmm. what it does what that kind of does then and i find a lot of the time the sentiments around dealing with anti-blackness surely the question or the more pertinent question is how does racism get its power mm-hmm. like how can we kind of organize around and, and develop a politic that challenges the systems that oppress us mm. surely that is a more positive way otherwise i can just see it sending into me as a west african yeah black Muslim yeah, yeah and only deal with problems affecting west african black mm. Muslims. i think this space like i'm a big space of like two things can mean contradiction and true at the same time so mm-hmm. i think there's space to acknowledge that people have a particular lived experience and a particular reality that governs how they understand and move through the world. Yeah. And I think that's important because, you know, that's people's kind of like tangible reality that that the effect on their personhood, right? And then mm-hmm. I think there's also a possibility to hold what you're saying, which is how do we do, you know, interracial or cross-racial solidarity? Or how yeah. do we mobilize around the bigger question of like white supremacy and imperialism? because anti-blackness is in a subsection of these things. I feel like there's a possibility to hold both of those like strands, because both of those strands inform each other. Mm-hmm. What I think we are seeing, however, is the focus on the former, so the focus on getting very granular with how we see black folks responding to racism effectively and how mm-hmm. anti-black racism manifests in their lives. And I think that's where we're stopping. So we're just completely stopping on the idea of the lived experience, or we're stopping on the idea of like, our social reality mm. we're not saying okay this is my lived experience this is my social reality these are the wider forces that affect it and why i experience particular kinds of like you know antagonisms and aggressions that is rooted in an anti-black experience and that's where we pause we don't think we don't map it out we don't think about actually these are um, systems of domination these mm. are systems part of a wider power structure and that ultimately we wouldn't experience those kind of granular level forms of anti-blackness if we dismantle mm. um, or challenge the wider system of white supremacy so it's kind of like it's like being able to move in and out so being able to map in and map out and do that process concurrently and i think we're kind of still we're kind of stilting ourselves just thinking on a very granular level absolutely i mean i'm i totally agree with that so when we're talking into a community then are we when we're arranging and organizing and developing a politic are we not then specifically talking about us? When we, when we, let's say me and you, for example, mm-hmm. are we not also doing the same thing we're saying that we choose to be communi- in community with a certain type of black person? You know, for, I mean, we give the famous example, and I'm using, I mean, to quote you, that I'm not in community with black Tories. Yeah, standard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was short and sweet. <laughs> I'm not in, what, like... If you want me to, is that a form of anti-black? Man? Yes, I do. But is that a form of anti-blackness? <laughs> no. Okay. This is my I point. agree with you, but unpack it for me. Unpack it for me. For sure. The reason, reason why I believe me saying that I did not want to be in community with a black Tory or with a homophobe or transphobe or misogynist, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, because whilst that person might be black, you know, by phenotypically or what they look like or how we socialize them to be read as black. They're still yeah. espousing harmful and oppressive rhetoric yeah. that actually seeks to harm, especially Black Tory or any, you know, homophobe, transphobe, but like especially Black Tory Tories around mm-hmm. class and material reality, and that most Black people are actually working class. So if you are mm-hmm. a Black Tory, whether that is a capital C or small C conservative, you're actually yeah. upholding and reproducing neoliberalism, which where black people outside of the UK 
you know, are disproportionately murdered because of capitalism. Yes. So why would you, why would I want to be in community with someone who feels it's, com- feels it's acceptable to espouse an ideology that kills other black people? 100% in agreement with you, but then, not, not even a but, but let's say someone like, I don't know, a, a black Tory or a black conservative, do they fall under the banner, and I think you might have a contention with the phrase, protect black women or melanie magic? <laughs> like, you know, uh, don't get me wrong, I, I, I think you're... You say we need to protect Kemi, is that what you're saying? You're saying Kemi yeah. like black girl magic? <laughs> have you not seen that? Let me not talk, because I'm a man. Let me not talk. <laughs> if, I, <laughs> if I talk, they'll say, why are you talking? So let me not talk. But what I would say when it comes to like these, I think it's a very, I try to see the bigger picture here. Mm. It's no doubt that black Tories are in the positions in which they hold because they, those, I mean, they purely serve the function of gaslighting the majority mm-hmm. of people of color on their lived experiences. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, and, I, and I, I think you're aware of my position. I believe that representational politics and identity politics is killing our people mm-hmm. because this kind of, you know, notion that, Oh, because uh, this person is, you know, merely has a lot of melanin in their skin that they deserve our support. Then I think, you know, that's how we end up with Obama. That's how we end up with, you know, support for Kamala Harris. Mm. That's how we end up with all these. That's how we end up with all these, you know, black and brown faces in high places. And I think mm. a, a pertinent kind of quote I read the other day by Dr. Corner West, who everyone, people who know me now, must stand. He said, you know, the the measure of black success or black progress is not tied to how well the black middle class are doing. Mm, for sure. And I think, that's a, you know, I think that's a very important point. But let's talk about, let's kind of think through together arranging a politic in, in the UK context that deals with anti-blackness, challenges white supremacy, and possibly can get wide support. I want to say, I mean, I want to title this episode How to Love Black People Politically. Mm. What does that look like to you? How do we come to love black people politically? How do we show our people that this style of doing politics embraces and understands and acknowledges what they're going through, but directs that anger into or directs that energy into a politic that can be effective? Yeah, I really, I really want to sit with the Black Tories thing and I will use, attempt to create a bridge into the question that you're asking me now, right? Mm-hmm. So in terms of love, Bell Woods talks about a radical love ethic and one that is yeah. truth-telling, one that is transparency, but also one that is also accountable and that holding each other accountable for what we say and what we do and the impact that can have is mm-hmm. a form of is a, is accountability and therefore is also a form of love. Mm-hmm. may not feel like love or may not look like the version of love we are conditioned to see and understand but yeah. holding those who have especially black tories in the top conservative party therefore who mm-hmm. has access to political power holding them accountable and opening up and critiquing the rhetoric of what they say and who ultimately will always harm is love mm-hmm. that is love that is me saying or other people saying that what you are doing is damaging and you need to stop, right? Whether they stop or not mm-hmm. is different, but being able to highlight that is a form of love. Mm-hmm. And um, the reason why I say that, because we think about accountability often in a very punitive sense. So, you know, yeah. prisons, like that. And of course, accountability doesn't have to exist in that way. Um, accountability can also be about political education. So how do mm-hmm. we understand how someone like Kemi even came into that into the politics of like tourism and that's because she one part adopted the kind of model minority myth right if you work really hard yeah you know 
will get through. And where does that lie itself in that it's a form of, you know, neoliberal conservatism that some black folks produce because they see that as a way to save themselves in the context of white supremacy and imperialism. Mm -hmm. And so really the realty is like, how do we produce kind of critical consciousness that is also a form of love for black people to not be seduced by these really harmful ideologies for Mm -hmm. themselves. Mm -hmm. Whilst Kemi is in in the Tories and she has, you know, political power for now, we also have to think about like, this is also harming her, whether she sees it or not, like what she espouses actually affects her too. She may not yep. see it that way, but it does. She's not disaggregated from her own like violence. And that and the harm is like maybe not materially, but the harm is like, you know, ethically, morally, like she's creating a disconnect between her sense of blackness to the people who look like her. Mm. And she's been organized by white supremacy to do that work. That is harmful. That's abuse on her. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Not you making me have sympathy for Kevin Biden. Or... <laughs> wow. I just want to see the day. Again, we can hold these tensions. We can hold sympathy and we can hold accountability and we can hold critique. We can do, we're human. We have, we've been given with so many different types of sensibilities. We've been gifted with sensibilities and therefore we have a range of sensibilities that we can enact, you know, at the same time. So we can say like, this is harmful rhetoric to her. This is white mm-hmm. supremacy to her. We can also acknowledge that what she's doing is also abusing other black people and other brown people. That we can hold okay. those two like contradiction tensions at the same time, which they are. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well then please carry on and segue into the question then. What's what does a loving black politic look like in the This is one example, this is accountability and critical yeah. system. I think the idea of like what does it mean to a, a loving black politic is I think we need to start understanding and produce, I do believe in, in producing critical, like critical consciousness and critical education and mm-hmm. going to like on the ground organizing. I think that is really necessary and important, not to self promote, but hey, you know, I will. No, <laughs> plug yourself, man. Come on. So, <laughs> I organized with the Free Black Uni, which was started by Mel Fusu last year spring 2020 Mm -hmm. and a lot of the work that we are doing that we're really working very hard like all the different black folks involved is political education is like how do we make political education accessible to black folks in their different contexts and realities that they exist in Mm -hmm. um and i think you know free black uni isn't the only project there's many other like underground projects that are doing that kind of work like i try oh gosh i hate to get in there there's a group of like young black, I think predominantly young black men who have like okay. Oh, what are they called? Let me not get the wrong name in it. Okay. So they could have a tribe called something, and I remember it because it reminds me of a tribe called Beth, but it's not okay. It's something else. I can't remember the name, um, the full name. I'm really sorry. Sorry to that group, but I know you're doing. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> so it's also like how to mobilize as well. I think is really important as part of love. Love is a really interesting thing to think about because we're often socialized to think about love as just romantic and we don't think about like a radical ethic or a radical love and I think it will be important for us to understand like even to explore like what is radical love like what does it mean to like care for someone what does it mean to hold community for people what does it mean to hold community for folks who have been downtrodden for a very long time folks who in the context of the UK where there was quite a robust political, you know, 
anti-racist machinery at play that was held at the yeah. helm by many black activists for decades and now it's been decimated to, you know to the hill and we're seeing you know with black lives matter and free black uni and other kind of organizing groups come you know pick up that mantle again and and reform that work and it's very young it's very fresh it's you know probably just under 10 years and it's making like how do we extend love and trust to black folks who see especially black lives matter with huge yeah. disdain and, and distrust and what is that mm. what is the real root of that distrust is white supremacy mm. what the real the real tea so no, no, the no, real no. tea is it's been 21 minutes and you haven't mentioned marxism yet <laughs> that's the okay. real tea <laughs> no, because I, I would have thought when you're talking about arranging a politics, do you not feel like that somehow that we have to have to involve Marx in our critique is is a is a Marxist analysis and a Marxist kind of leaning a politic that Black people need for sure. But you asked me about love. <laughs> That's <laughs> fair all. enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's okay. Let, 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 no, no, that was that was amazing. By the way, but I feel like I want to segue that into. Okay. A more general kind of that? Don't be like, you didn't say this. <laughs> <laughs> Don't try and make me your downfall. You didn't ask me that question. <laughs> okay, let's segue into that now. Okay. Let's theorise and seg- segue into that topic of what politics should black people be adopting. And I, and this is like disclaimer. I'm what well, I'm not. Maybe Janine might. But I'm not telling people what they should and shouldn't follow. I am. I'm not telling people. Okay, cool. That's you. <laughs> I'm not telling people. Am. Okay, cool. Well, then, what should people be following according to Janine Francois? What should what should they be following, and why should they be following it? And why is that style of politics and that critique and that analysis the most helpful for Black people? Yeah. So I think for disclosure and transparency, I have more recently come into like Marxist thoughts. I wouldn't say I'm the most sophisticated on mm-hmm. the topic, although I've read like a good number of like black Marxist texts, especially mm-hmm. between like stuff written between like 1930 and 1960, 1970s. Mm-hmm. So like much more kind of like more colorful kind of stuff. So yeah. um I would describe my politics as being a black feminist or being a black Marxist feminist. Okay. Um, and the reason why I hold those two positions, um I don't see them as competing or contradictory okay. positions is to really understand the kind of material reality in which Black people of all genders find themselves in and how that intersects with patriarchy and capitalism and imperialism okay. and that these are all, you know, systems of domination that are best buds with each other. They inform each other and it creates experiences, especially around our lack of relationship to capital or a lack of relationship to wealth or even mm-hmm. the kind of working conditions in which we're disproportionately more likely to find ourselves in right so mm-hmm. for example I work in a university I used yep. to work in a physical building pre-pandemic and yep. who were the people that were more likely to be working on you know as outsourced workers on account labor mm. contracts, it's black women and it's brown women, it's brown migrant yeah. women and it's black working class women, right? And so these are really precarious jobs. You know, my university could decide to end a contract with that service provider. One, if and two, we know that they don't they don't have proper access to full employment rights, such as you know being able to organize with a union, having proper sick pay, holiday pay, you know all the other important trappings that when one is considered an employee, 
gets, i.e. someone like myself. Yeah. And I'm going to come into my own contract as well to understand, like, uh, whilst I have a different material reality in the grand scheme of things, it's not that different. And so okay. when I think about, like, black women and brown women or migrant women who are on these, who are disproportionately going to be employed in these jobs on these contracts, then Marxism and the black feminist Marxist framework is so important to offer liberation, which is you're not on these contracts. You are paid properly. You're not in awful working conditions. You know, you have access to your full employment rights. You are able to organise and you might be penalised for, you know, joining a trade union, right? Um, So having like a black Marxist feminist framework understands the ways in which black women or women of colour are disproportionately in the most vulnerable economic positions. And then mm. I'll segue to myself. So yes, I'm on a permanent contract. Yay, go me. But I'm on a part-time. I work 0.5 hours, right? What? Mm-hmm. That's the reality of academia. Half of us ain't even on full-time contracts, right? And Does that work? Ex- <laughs> right. Because it's about exploitation. It's about giving me the least money for me to do the most work. Oh, and yes. when we look at the data of who is going to be on a contract like mine even if it's permanent again it's going to be disproportionately women and people of color and then i would say women of color sit at a complete intersection of those disproportionately on a 0.5 or part-time contract and mm. being paid at the bottom of the pay scale so when we so whilst i have a better material reality individually yeah. If we understand myself, my subject position materially, and these like other women who are coming into contact with, it's not that different. We're both in fucking precarious states, right? Sorry, mm-hmm. I swear. I'm allowed to swear. No, it's fine. Yeah, yeah okay, it's cool. fine. Don't worry. You're allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> We're both in like in states of precarity. It's, it manifests or plays out differently because of what our contracts are. But on a wider conceptual level, we're both in equally precarious states because we are both women um, of color, both women and the person of color, and both of those things. So what essentially you're saying that Marxism, the Marxist critique allowed you to understand that better? Yeah. That I mean, the Marxist yeah. critique allowed me not not that I ever saw myself in competition or disaggregated. Like I I hope, I mean I can't remember what my thoughts were, but I like to believe I didn't. But like having a Marxist critique enabled to see why my reality isn't so different to her reality and that we should be in solidarity mm-hmm. with one another. That my my fight is her fight, me getting in better employment rights. Or her, me in solidarity with a woman of colour in an outsourced job and ensuring that they get full employment rights enables me to get employment rights. Mm. Like these aren't disaggregated struggles. So then for you then, for let's say the UK context, I, and I, I know you said you will tell people what to do. Are you saying that people should become Marxist? I'm saying meaning? a union. Okay. Okay. People should join the union because that's the place in your okay. organization that gives you constituted legal rights. One. Yeah. And two, I am saying that people should adopt Marxist politics. Yeah. Why? I know you said you just told me why, but sell it more. Sell it. Sell it. Sell it. To us. I mean, people need to understand that you do not like. First and foremost, you do not have capital. If you think you have capital. <laughs> No. okay <laughs> your iphone is not capital okay those new air forces are not capital my friend the nice things <laughs> that's it you have access to nice things okay so firstly to be a capitalist you need to have actual capital and that means owning the means of production that means you own a labor force a factory you own yeah. uh, production lines you are making serious and real money if you are some mm-hmm. boy from the end who got themselves a nice investment job somewhere in the city and you're pulling in a hundred thousand grand, how much do you think that shareholder is really making? If you're making a hundred mm-hmm. my friend, 
what is that shareholder pulling in? Probably ten pounds what you're making. A lie. Okay. And so, the funny thing is, people don't. Sorry to interject. I will mm. let you carry on. But I think people fail to realize that you know, if you're making hundred bags a year, mm. you're much more close to the guy making twenty or thirty bags. You know, exactly. Than you are than you are to the CEO of the company. Oh, people don't people don't see that. No, but this is where <laughs> capitalism seduced. So capitalism seduced that. You know, I'm making 100 bags a year. I'm on a really nice, sexy salary. I've got a nice, you know, car, blah, blah, blah. Again, the, mm-hmm. the trappings of nice things, these are not profitable. These are not actual, you know, real assets that enables you to kind of, um, you know, engineer a kind of social, like, production line. Mm-hmm. And you just have access to nice things, perhaps more so than some. But yeah. as you say, like, you are much closer to poverty and precarity than you are to the person who's got their yacht in the Caribbean. Exactly. But capitalism seduces us to make people believe that they too, even though it would be near impossible, can have that private yacht in exactly. You know. Exactly. So then by saying the Marxism critique just allows you to obviously understand that, but also allows us to have solidarity or kind of or allows us to organize like what does the Marxist critique do for us tangibly? Mm. I think for me, a Marxist critique enables actually there's lots of different things. It enables yeah. to understand where we really exist in these mm-hmm. lines of power, economically speaking mm-hmm. and materially speaking. And as you rightly say, someone pulling 100 bags is much more closer proximity to someone earning 20 bags. They may exactly. not see it that way, but that's the truth. And therefore, yeah. it will make sense or be for one's benefit or a collective benefit to align yourself with those who are in more of an oppressed class than one might see themselves to be. Also, the same young black... I, I, I mean, very specifically young black men, because, you know, why not? Yeah. Y'all like free paychecks from getting unemployed and being on the streets, okay? Be honest. <laughs> right? Like, be really deep. Y'all, y'all, y'all free paychecks away free from paychecks. going to It's about losing that job, losing that nice house, losing that car, and where would you end up? OnlyFans. Right? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So, when you really, really deep it, like, yeah, you might. And, and do we know how that's true? Do you know how many, like, people who are quote unquote rich end up poor? Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Yep. And I say, or, or, mature, or wealth, materially wealthy or whatever end up poor. Because when you really look at it, they didn't have the, you know, the full trappings to live this quote unquote capitalist lifestyle or, like, yep. full access to capital to protect them from ever, you know, be you know entering positions of um poverty jeff bezos is never going to mm-hmm. be poor ever exactly ever exactly. ever exactly because he's a billionaire because <laughs> exactly. he owns the means of production he ain't never gonna exactly. like you know whereas you my friend with your 100 g working in what city bank that you could end up poor in six months mm-hmm. or you could have destituted in six months jeff bezos that's ain't true. gonna be like oh that's my friend who are mm you're an expendable, like, you're, this is equally, like, I'm talking about city bankers and young black men because I feel like folks see that as some kind of, like, aspiration to get into. And it's like, yeah. no, like, that's equally an expendable workforce, right? There's a whole surplus army. There's how many other young black men want to be a city banker? Had loads. Like, you know, so, and let me not. No, 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 it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Call so, me so, I say, so. Now I'm anti-black <laughs> <man. laughs> No, no, yeah, no, I know you're not. I know you're not. And, you're, you don't hate anti you don't hate black men and I don't get involved in women's business. <laughs> okay. <laughs> one, of those, one of those are facts and one of those are lies, but let's continue. <laughs> but, let's get, but we move, but we move, but we move. <laughs> but okay, you you listed out the things that okay, it helps you know your position in that in that means of in that kind of production line. Mm. What else is it offer you? 
You know, recently I've been reading a lot about like the post-colonial movements in the continent of Africa and in the Caribbean and how like a Marxist framework was literally central to that narrative of a post-colonial framework or a decolonial framework even of of liberation. Mm -hmm. And we see that many, you know, West African nations once, you know, they quote unquote decolonize. So whether that's by force or fight and equally in the Caribbean, many initially adopt anyway a Marxist politics right a Marxist way of organizing their um you know society and we have to think about why like why of all the types of politics that Mm. these radical leaders could be drawn to or exposed to why did they lend themselves to that and clearly there's something there about providing equity materially Mm. due to the impacts of colonization for you know you know for people so just on that level of like we have to, you know, historically think about why do, you know, revolutionary leaders, you know, even think about the context in a Western sense, like the Black Panthers, they too, like, you know, drew yep. reference into a Marxist politics. So this is an international thing of, like, different types of Black and um, liberatory struggles are drawn to this way of thinking or drawn to this particular kind of politic. And we have to ask the question, why? Like, why are they seduced by that? Why are they not seduced by a capitalist thinking right and there's clearly something about in order to have true liberation and you know to really dismantle the systems of power we also have to think about ways in which production exists and the ways in which economies exist and um, the ways in which black bodies in a capitalist system anyway are always going to be the first killed you know literally mm. you know the first harmed and abused and why would we have a system why would we uphold or adopt a system that was literally designed to annihilate us like capitalism you know if we think about modern capitalism anyway takes root from chattel slavery and the transatlantic slave trade where yep. people who not you and i were not were not even considered human we were considered yep. property we were considered bonds we were considered things to make money from and wow. why would i want to embrace that when it means embracing my dehumanization and that was a mic drop from Janine Francois, guys. I will post Janine's socials in the description of this episode. As always, you are listening to the Malcolm Effect with Mama G. Please like, comment, subscribe. Do that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or on YouTube. Until next time, guys. Peace out.